week and weekend. Man, we're so glad you're here with us today to celebrate. We're going to worship our God and we're going to reflect today on what it means to be called believers in these United States of America. I'm so grateful that we have been called that we've been given a charge, a purpose. It's my prayer today that we come away with a greater understanding of what that means and that we walk in every element of that. Amen? Amen. I want to thank uh, Dr. Jeffrey Sy for filling in for me last Sunday morning here. Thank you, sir. And Keith Rindle for leading worship. Our family, yeah, they, they did a great job. Our family had a great time this week. We went to Alabama and celebrated Heather's grandparents' 60th anniversary. So that was quite an honor. And we went down to the beach for a little time of relaxing and uh, 14 of us all in one house together. And we ended up still loving each other afterwards. It was good. It was a good time. Very good time. All right, let's jump into our message today. I want to talk to you about vision and resurrection. This is the pattern of God. You can look through Scripture over and over again, and you will see this same pattern. And if you and I will learn this pattern, it will save ourselves from much grief, and it will increase our faith. Here's the pattern. Life. Life happens. A seed is pregnant. A seed is present. A mother becomes pregnant. There is life. It's the pattern. But that life in and of itself and by itself is just one life. And God intends for there to be more than just the one life. But for the seed to be blessed, multiplied, to become more, it has to go into the ground and die. It's what Jesus said. In fact, unless the seed is buried in the ground... Jesus said, it abides alone. It's by itself. It's in its own strength. The seed has to come to a place where it comes to the end of itself and is planted and covered over. And when it is, when there is death to the seed, it's planted, then, oh, then there comes new life. For you and I, watch this, for you and I were born, we became flesh and blood, and in us was life, but in us was not the life that came from God. We have to come to the place where we recognize that we are dead in our sins, and when we will humble ourselves and repent and be buried, in a sense, in the tomb with Christ, then we are resurrected and new life comes from within us. Amen? That's just the way it works. It was a pattern for Jesus. It's a pattern for seed. It's a pattern for life. There has to be life, death, vision, and new life. It's the pattern over and over again. It happens in churches. It happens in communities. It happens in families. And it happens in a nation where there is a vision, there's life, and then there's this period of death, and then new life. What makes it a little bit different in a, a nation is that there are generations that come. One generation had the vision and had even new life from God. But in that same place, a new generation walks, right? New families are born. A new generation is born. And they have to walk through the same thing. They have to come to the end of themselves and see a new vision from God. It's the pattern. It's a pattern that God has used over and over again. And today, we're going to find where we are as these United States in 2017 in the pattern. Now, to do that, let me go back in time a little bit and show you a little bit of history. Let's go back to what the founding fathers thought about the future of our nation. What they saw as what would be the vision. Let me show you. Mercy alive. You've got to be careful what you say on this stage. Let me show you a few. Wow. Let me show you a few of the founding fathers quotes. Let's do the first one here. John Adams. Signer of the Declaration of Independence, diplomat, judge, signer of the Bill of Rights, second president of the United States said this, 
the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. They are unchanging. They can't be moved. And they are what our founding fathers established this nation upon. Let's look at a statement from John Quincy Adams, sixth president of the United States, diplomat, secretary of state, senator, U.S. representative. John Quincy Adams said this, In the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior, The Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. You can't get more plain than that. Our nation was founded upon the principles of Scripture. The birth of a Savior, the death of a Savior, the resurrection of a Savior, and in Him is life. And apart from Him, there is no life. Apart from Him, there is no life in our nation. Let's move on to a statement made by the Congress in 1854. They said this, and just just note for a second, really, 1854 was not that long ago in the span of time. Had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. In this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. It was just expected. Amen. It was... It was anticipated. It was expected. There was no thought that evil would come from within and change the core of our land. It was expected that it would remain established upon the foundations of Scripture and that of Jesus Christ. So as we stand today on the 241st birthday of our nation, we stop and evaluate ourselves Where are we in relation to the vision? Where are we in relation to life? Where are we in the pattern? I would suggest, and I would think you would concur, that we stand today as a nation in the place of death. Yes, we are physically alive Yes, we are prosperous. Yes, we have a measure of freedom. We do not have a nation that is alive today to Jesus Christ and flowing in his spirit and direction and strength. Amen? And if you do not have that life, you have no life at all. So we really stand today in a place of great death in relation to the vision. We are not a people as a whole who seek after the Lord. We are not a people as a whole who unite together to serve our God. We are divided. We are in conflict. We are in confusion. We are not what our founding fathers envisioned. So when you find yourself at a place like this, Maybe you feel what I feel from time to time. Maybe you feel the temptation to just say, you know what, this stuff is way too big for me. Who am I? I'm just one person in some small town in Texas. What could I do? It seems that even my voice is the one that's the most despised and rejected. What can I do? 
And there's a temptation to kind of want to just pull back, hide away, take care of myself, do my thing, don't interfere with anybody else, and hope no one comes to arrest you for practicing your faith. Anybody relate to that this morning? Amen? You with me? So today, I want to talk to you about uh, the resurrection of a nation. The resurrection of a nation. That's what happens when there has been death. You see, in God's economy, death is not the end. Death is the next step before resurrection. And you have to get to death before you can get to resurrection. If you don't ever get to death, you can't get to resurrection. But when you get to death, you are in the prime spot for the greatest miracle that could ever take place, resurrection. So I hope today, please, do not dismiss what I say because it's preacher talk. Are you with me? Some people do that. They come to church, they come to listen, they come to do their duty, and they dismiss half of what the guy says because they say, that's preacher talk. Look, folks, I'm doing my best to open God's word, speak truth from it, and call us to believe it. I'm not here just talking words. I'm not here just talking pretty language. I'm here because I believe God has called us for such a time as this. God has given us his spirit. God has given us his word. He has placed us in this nation. He has placed us in this state. He has placed us in this building this morning for a purpose. And he has called us to it. And it's our charge to hear this morning, believe this morning, and obey this morning what he calls us to. Amen? Amen. We are in Ezekiel chapter 37 today. And I'm sure Dr. Seif could speak eloquently for eons about the history of the Jewish people and what's happening in Ezekiel. Let me give you just a very, very short synopsis. The people of God were in great disobedience to him. Had been for some time. And the pattern in the Old Testament is that whenever the people of God were in some disobedience, God would allow some foreign country to come in and attack. That they might be humbled and brought back to the Lord. So their hearts are hardened. They're in disobedience. And God allows the Babylonians to come in. And they come in with a vengeance. And they destroy Jerusalem. And they take their people, and they hold them captive. And it looks as though they could never be resurrected again. People are taken from their homes. People are taken from their families. People are killed. People are enslaved. They are far from any sense of what they believe they had been called to be. They are not the nation they once thought they were called to be. Can we relate to that? Not the nation we were once called to be. This is where they find themselves, but actually in a situation much worse than us. Their lives are scattered. They're slaves. They're not living in blessing. And God speaks to a man named Ezekiel. Now, he has a lot to say to Ezekiel, but we're jumping into the conversation in chapter 37. It's a long way in. A lot has happened. But in 37, God gives a vision to Ezekiel for his nation. So today, I want us to hear God's word, make application for us as believers in our nation, but there's going to be some other applications going to be just happening all over this room this morning. I believe the Spirit of God is going to speak to us about errors in our own life. It's going to speak to us about our finances. It's going to speak to us about our marriages. It's going to speak to us about our family situation. It's going to speak to us about relationships. So just be ready when the Spirit of God just keeps tapping you on the shoulder and on the heart and a little bit deeper and starts pointing at some things and starts drawing you with some areas. When he does, listen to him. Believe him. Chapter 37, verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. So Ezekiel says that the spirit of God moves him one day. It comes upon him. It doesn't say what he was doing. But the Spirit of God comes upon him, and it, and it moves him. In fact, it says, it brought me out. It took him to a place. So what's happening here is a, is a vision. God's giving Ezekiel a picture. 
He's there, but all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to move, and he begins to show him some things. So what we're going to read here is going to sound like a very real thing that happens, but it is a vision from the Lord for Ezekiel in his mind and heart. He sets him down in the midst of a valley. Ezekiel goes to this place in his heart with the Lord. And in this valley, it's a big valley, a big open place. And there, it's full of bones. It's not just the bones of horses and camels and dogs and rats. They're the bones of men. A valley full of bones. It goes on in verse 2 and it says, Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. God takes Ezekiel on this tour of this valley, this huge valley. As he moves around, he just sees all of these bones. And the thing that seems to stand out to Ezekiel is how many there were and how dry they were. What does it mean if the bones are dry, it means they've been there a while. It means there once were bodies there, but time, decay, vultures, animals have come and eaten the flesh. Flies, maggots, decay. It's all happened. And now Ezekiel looks. He doesn't even see clothes. He doesn't see flesh. He sees bones. And God takes him here to show him a valley of bones. Now we're going to be making some points as we go through this morning. And we're going to pause right here and make our first big point. Here it is. When it comes to a resurrection of a nation or an individual, God carries us to places we avoid in order to do the miraculous that we need. I don't know of anybody in this room that enjoys the subject of death, right? We go to funerals because our loved ones are there and they're grieving, but no one enjoys death. It's painful. It's sorrowful. It's loss. It's difficult. And here God takes Ezekiel to a place intentionally. He didn't just end up there. God took him there to a place where there had been much, much death. And enough time had passed that all that was left were dry bones. When God begins to do a work in our lives, he starts by showing us the reality of our situation. He will intentionally show us, you know, there's death here. He might walk you into a relationship you've got with someone that you haven't seen in some time, and he'll remind you, you know there's death here, right? He'll, he'll, he'll walk your marriage right in front of your eyes and show you, you know there's death here, right? He'll walk a vision in front of your mind of what you thought your life was going to be, and he will replay and show you, you know there's death here, right? There's, there's dry bones here. It's been a long time since you've had the vision, since you've had life, since there's been any kind of connection, since there's been any kind of life here. And God will take us to those places intentionally. Because if you don't get to the place of death, you can never get to the place of resurrection. And it's the thing we all want to avoid. Well, I don't, I don't want to talk about my financial situation right now. Let's talk about something else. Well, I don't want to talk about my marriage situation. Let's talk about something else right now. Can we just talk about what we're going to do afterwards for like, or go out to eat or something? You know, that's what we like to do here in America. Let's talk about something else. Let's just change the subject, get on to something happy. And, uh, you know, I don't want to go to a small group because I might start talking about real life stuff and that's just really awkward. I don't like talking about my pains, my struggles, and my weaknesses, right? Hello? Can you relate with me? 
But that's what you got to do. You cannot experience resurrection until you first are honest enough about your situation. And God will walk you into the place and say, look, there's death here. Quit trying to dress it up. Quit trying to act like it's not true. Quit trying to spray some perfume on it. There's death here. And it's been dead for a while. Let's go on in the passage. It says next that, that God said to him, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel is apparently a pretty wise guy. Pretty smart guy because he says, Oh Lord God, you know. <laughs> Does that mean yes? Does that mean no? Ezekiel thinks, I got the right answer. You know, Lord. You know, that kind of thing. That way he's not wrong in either case. You know, Lord. But in natural understanding, Ezekiel knew plain. No, bones don't live. He might have been saying, you know, Lord. But there was a part of him that was saying, ain't no way bones are going to live. You can go ask the doctor, no, these bones can't live. You can go ask a psychologist, no, these bones aren't going to live. You can go ask anybody. You can see a counselor. You can go see anybody. You can go to the funeral home and have somebody look at them and they say, no, them bones ain't going to live. They just don't. And when you go to anybody on this planet, they're going to see your situation and say, mm-mm. You might even be the one that's looking at your situation and saying, mm-mm. Them bones, they are not going to live. This marriage has been dead too long. My finances have been dead too long. That relationship's been dead too long. I've been far from the Lord too long. You might be better off saying, oh, Lord, you know, instead of saying, oh, no. And God was about to do something in Ezekiel's life. It's kind of what God does, though. He calls things into existence as though they are when, in fact, they're not. In the next verse, it says, and again, he said, or again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Speak to them, Ezekiel. You and your smart answer. I want you to prophesy to these bones and say to them, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. See, God challenges them first. Ezekiel, can these bones live? Smart answer. Okay, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these bones. I want you to speak to them. I want you to preach to them, in fact. I'm not, I'm not asking you to be angry at them. I'm not asking you to condemn them. I'm not asking you to tell them that they're dead. They're dead. I'm asking you to prophesy to them. You see, when someone prophesied, they were preaching truth to them that had a future point to it. That there's going to be something else that's going to happen. You didn't normally prophesy to dead things because they were at the end. But God says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these bones. I want you to Say this to them, oh, dry bones, which is kind of awkward first that you're just talking to some dry bones on the ground. He says, I want you to talk to them, and I want you to say, hear the word of the Lord. Mm. God challenged Ezekiel to something that was a little strange, that was a little difficult, that was a little awkward to take in. You see, bones don't have ears. Hello? Bones don't hear. Bones, bones can't get up. Bones can't say, what did he say? They don't do that. They, they're, they're bones. They can't hear. They have no organs on them. They have no life in them. They're dead. And so Ezekiel's going to have to get to a new level here of faith. He's going to have to trust God in a way he never has before because God tells him to speak to the bones. Our next big point here is this. 
God calls us to belief greater than we've had so we can experience wonders greater than we've seen. It's true. There are areas in your life right now that you have called dead. You've already gotten the coroner's report. You've settled it. It's done. It's not going anywhere. You've closed it off. You've called it dead. And God says, I'm not through yet. I can make things that were once dead alive again. But I'm going to have to have your full attention. I'm going to have to have you listening to me. I'm going to have to have you believing me. And I'm going to have to have you obeying me. Ezekiel, speak to the bones. God was calling Ezekiel to a new place. And believe me, Ezekiel was a guy who had been through a lot. He had been to some places already that God had taken that were pretty amazing. If you just open the book of Ezekiel, you find some pretty amazing things happening. I mean, Ezekiel opens with this strange thing happened that, he's, that he sees in the desert. This whirling light thing comes at him. And it, chapter 1 is full of this description. And you look at it and you read it now and it looks like something out of like a, a, an alien movie or something. I'm serious. Don't read it now. You'll get all caught up in it. But this thing happens and God shows him something that no one had ever seen before. And it was actually the glory of God. I'll give you a hint. Spoiler alert. But God goes on and shows him a lot of other things too. He has some strange things. Ezekiel becomes this messenger for God. But he takes him down some weird paths. I mean, there was one day where God told him, he said, Ezekiel, I'm going to show you a scroll like some rolled up paper, like parchment, like we might think of. And Ezekiel, I want you to eat it. What? Yeah, I want you to eat it. Because I'm going to tell you what to say to my people. But you're going to have to eat this scroll first. Okay. He did. There was another occasion where God said to him, okay, uh, Ezekiel, I want you to go out into the public square. And I want you to, to, to lay on your left side, Ezekiel, for 390 days. Just on your left side. Just right there. And then after that, switch over to your right side. 40 days. And he did. There was a purpose there. There was a picture in it. There was a meaning in it. And then he said to him, now Ezekiel, during that 390 days I told you about, I'm going to give you a recipe because I want you to eat a certain food. And he gives him this recipe that sounds like this amazing bread. And, and then God says, now here's the deal, Ezekiel, when you cook this bread, I want you to use human waste. That's what you're going to cook it with. You think I'm making all this stuff up. It's in the book of Ezekiel. And there's a purpose, there's a meaning in it. God has it there for Ezekiel and for the people in his day. And he cooks the bread. And that stuff stunk. Can you imagine? 390 days, some guys in the square cooking food on human waste. Ugh. There's a purpose and there's a picture. My point is this. God had taken Ezekiel down a path already. He had shown him some pretty amazing things. But this, what he was about to see now, was going to be more glorious than what he'd ever seen before. And that is what God longs to do in every one of our lives. There's this notion in the American church that the point is just to get saved, and that's kind of it. That you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, and then you just say, okay, now I'm going to try to live good and get some other people saved. That's great. That's glorious. But let me tell you this. God has a purpose bigger than just your birth. He is calling you forward into areas of wonder and belief and rest and peace and joy and satisfaction and self-control and depths of delight in him that you have yet to experience. And you're not going to experience it all by the time even of your death. You'll enter into eternity still discovering treasures and wonders that are in Jesus Christ. And so, please, don't get stuck in the idea that, well... I'm saved. Now I just do this church thing just so people know I am. I don't know what we're doing here, really. 
People do that. And God's calling them forward. That's what he's doing with Ezekiel here. He says, Ezekiel, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to do something. You thought all the other stuff was crazy we did? You thought all the other stuff was pretty amazing we did? You thought I had worked in your life already? Ezekiel, we're not even getting started yet. God has wonders greater for us when you and I are willing to believe greater than we ever have before. Are you ready to venture into that? It's going to take each one of us opening our heart. It's okay, God. I'm ready. Let's go. Take me deeper. Show me more. I'm willing to learn. I will seek you. I will hear you. I will believe you. I will obey you. I'm going to tell you, when that captures us individually, and when that captures us as a church, watch out. There is no end to what God can do through a man or woman, teenager or child, who will say, God, my heart is all yours. Teach me. Most devastating thing you can do is get to the place where you feel like you're done. You've heard, you've learned, or you've reached some mark where you feel like you've gone too far in your sin or whatever it is. There are wonders beyond what I has ever seen that await us in Jesus Christ. And the thing, the thing that we avoid most, that area in our life we're afraid of, that area in our life we don't want to open the closet to, that area in our life that's got the smell of death all over it, that is the area God wants to do His biggest work in your life. But you've got to be willing to go to that place Walk around and see it and believe in a way like you never have before. Let's move on in the passage. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Here's the message, Ezekiel. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. The next verse. I will put sinews on you. And bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. Let me break this down a little bit for you. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause these bones to live. Here's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to put sinews or tendons, the connective tissue. I'm going to bring these bones together, and they're going to connect. I'm going to put flesh upon them. All of the necessary body parts to make these bones work together. I'm going to cover them with skin. Oh, and that's not all. I'm going to breathe into this body and new life is going to happen and they shall live. He says, and then something amazing is going to happen. You're going to know that I am the Lord. I'm going to do a a miraculous thing. That right now you can't even comprehend because all you see is death. But I'm going to do something great, God says. Now here's what it says next that happened. Ezekiel believed and obeyed. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? Hello, fellow bones. We are gathered here today in the midst of heaven and... These earthly witnesses. And I'm here to speak life to you today. God's going to breathe into you and you're going to become living. That's awkward. It's awkward speaking life to a dead thing, right? To saying they're going to be something that when you look at it, you say, mm-mm. And so there was probably this wrestling match going on in Ezekiel's head because he's saying one thing, and in his head he's having this conversation, this is crazy talk. I'm talking to some bones that are supposed to do something here in a minute. And it says, 
I prophesied as I was commanded. Every word of Scripture is important. And as I prophesied, as he started doing the thing God called him to do, as he believed, there was a noise. Ooh, something started happening. What was that noise? And suddenly, a rattling. It wasn't a snake sneaking up on him. It was bones moving. Bones are on the ground that are dead, and Ezekiel's preaching to them about the glory of God and about what God can do in their lives. It's awkward. And they start moving. They start rattling on the ground. They start shaking, and they come together. These bones start moving together. Ones that were separated, hip bones and leg bones and ankle bones and knee bones and neck bones, they all start just moving around. That's creepy stuff. Ribs are moving across and rattling, saying, get out of my way. I got to get back to my man. And they're moving all around, and they come together, it says, bone to bone. Mm. Verse 8. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. Not just bones moving around, rattling around. All of a sudden now, he looks and he sees flesh starting to grow. Connective tissue, tendons, muscles. They're starting to just appear out of nowhere. And, and it comes upon them. Flesh comes upon them. And all of a sudden, skin covers them over. There once was just bones on the ground. But now, now there are bodies on the ground. The bones have come together. The connective tissue have come together. And our third big point is this. The miraculous happens when we speak truth and life to what is dead. That's when it happens. It didn't happen, and then Ezekiel started talking. Ezekiel didn't wait for it to happen before he started obeying. He said, okay, God, this is weird. I'll preach to bones. I'm going to speak truth to dead things. And they started to come together. There are areas in your life right now where there's been death. Things you have cut off, shut off, sealed off, thinking there's no way, no way this could ever be good again. There's no way there could be life here again. And I believe God says to us what he said to Ezekiel. Can these bones come together, Ezekiel? You know, Lord. All right. It's time to start speaking some truth. So you've got some air in your life where you've thought, well, this area is done. There's just no way. And all of a sudden, God calls you, speaks to you, and you get some faith together. And you start speaking some truth. And you start remembering a verse, and you say, okay, God is working all things together for good of those who love God and are calling toward, according to his purpose. And, and you say, wait a minute. The Spirit of God dwells in me. The Bible says that no weapon formed against me shall stand. Now, wait a minute. The Bible also says that every tongue that rises against me shall be condemned. And the Scripture says, "For Lord, you will bless the righteous with favor and you'll surround him like a shield. And all of a sudden, you start speaking faith to yourself, and you start seeing some movement happen in your heart all of a sudden. Things start moving. Things start changing in your own life because you start speaking truth and life to yourself. You stop speaking death. Amen. If you keep on speaking, well, I just don't think God could use me. Death. Well, I think I've just sinned too many times. Death. Well, I just don't think I could ever be accepted. Death. Well, I'm just not sure I measure up to anybody. Death. Those are all death statements. And you keep those bones dead on the ground as long as you keep talking death to them. When you start speaking life to them, say, wait a minute. I've been called by God. I've been blessed by God. I've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Jesus Christ. When you start speaking that stuff, your bones will start moving. They will. Amen. And you look at your marriage and think, that guy, he is so sorry. There's no way my marriage is ever going to death. Well, I mean, we've been through too much death. Well, I just don't know that death. That you're just speaking death over and over and over again. You keep wondering why nothing's happening. Well, you keep talking death to the situation. 
But when you start saying, okay, Lord, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but you've come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, okay, wait a minute, something's happening now. And you start saying, oh, wait a minute, if God did not spare his own son, this is scripture, by the way, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Wait a minute, stuff's happening now all of a sudden. I'm starting to see my spouse change, and it wasn't because I complained enough. Amen? You start remembering your role, what you've been called to, and that you've been put together as husband and wife, and you're a picture of the church and, the, and Christ himself, and you start getting some promises flowing, and you start getting some belief going, and you start finding what you need in Jesus Christ and not in your spouse, and all of a sudden things start changing. Bones start moving. Parts start coming alive that you hadn't experienced before, and the body starts to become new again. I'm talking about your marriage. The same happens in a relationship. The same thing happens in a church. The same thing happens in a nation when the people who possess the truth, that's us, speak that truth. I'm going to tell you, look here. We cannot wait for anybody else in our country to stand up and bring an answer. The church is the only group with the truth and the power to bring change to our, our nation. Amen. It's true. And so if you're sitting there waiting, then you're being like Ezekiel, just staring at them bones. You just watch the news reports. Five more bones are found dead today in the valley. Three more bones decayed on the left side, on the east side this morning. You just keep watching. Yeah, I was dead, all right. I'm not going anywhere. That's the church today, I'm afraid. We just keep watching the news reporters saying, yeah, I was dead, all right. I ain't going nowhere. I wish it was like it used to be, but sure, not anymore. Just dead bones on the ground. That's what we are today. That's what we do. We watch the news and just keep speaking death. Keep believing death. There was a story that happened in, in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus and the disciples were walking along and they come upon this fig tree. And Jesus stops and he curses the fig tree. But that would have been an unusual sight. He curses this fig tree and says, you'll bear no more fruit. And they just keep on walking. And the disciples are like, what was that about? And they just keep on going into town. They go to town. <clears throat> and the scripture says they come back that, the next day and they looked. And sure enough, that fig tree is like wilted. I mean, there's no life on it, no leaves on it. It's just dead. And Jesus says something very interesting to them. He says, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, listen, he will have Whatever he says. Amen. What you speak in belief is what will happen in your life. Amen. It's true. And you keep on speaking death through fear, guilt, shame, anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, discouragement, doubt, fear. You're only speaking death. But the minute you start confessing who Jesus is and who you are in him and who he is in you and what he's doing through you and what he's doing for you, you're going to start seeing some changes in your life. You will have what you say. Yeah. And you say, well, I just don't ever see God move in my life. Are you confessing him throughout your day? Are you looking for him throughout your day? Or are you saying, well, I don't ever see God in my life. No, I never see God in my life. No, God ain't working in my life. I, have you seen my finances? No, God's not working in my life. Just keep on confessing that. You won't ever see a thing. But when you start confessing truth, the Lord is with me. He has placed his spirit within me. I am his. He is mine. I have been given the same favor now before the Father that the Son has. He loves me as much as he loves the Son. He's blessed me with the same blessings he's blessed the Son. I have access to the Father the same way the Son has access to the Father. He is the head, I am the body, whatever the head has, the body has. 
the more that you keep confessing, the more that you're going to start seeing things change in your life. You will see change happen in your life. Let's go on. So Ezekiel prophesies these things all come together, but something very interesting happens in verse 8. The second half says, but there was no breath in them. All these bones, body parts all come together, and their skins covered them, and just zoop, they're there. Now there's not bodies anymore. There's, I mean, now there's not bones anymore. There's bodies. There's bodies everywhere. But there's no breath in them. They have a form of existence. They look like they're alive, but there's something missing. They have all the look of a real person. They got legs and arms and hair and eyes and all of that. It's all there. It looks real, but they're missing something essential. There's no breath in them. It goes on. It says, and also he, God said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Now see, God will keep taking you deeper places if you'll keep walking with him. Ezekiel thought, this is weird enough, talking to bones. And now they all came together and it looks like we're almost done. And now you want me to prophesy to the breath, to the wind, to the spirit. Where is it? Somewhere. The four winds. Now I'm going to be prophesying to what I can't even see. Wind. Come breathe into these people. Lord God, bring your breath. And Ezekiel, he's having to cry out to the four winds. He's doing something he's never done before. He's calling out to what he can't see to breathe life into something that still looks pretty dead. And Ezekiel obeys. He does it. Look what happens next. We're getting close to the end here. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. He started preaching to the wind, and the breath came into them, and all of a sudden there was a, and it was multiplied all across that valley. And where there was death, now there are people, and they're getting up, and they're dusting themselves off, and they're getting together, and they're shaking hands, and they're patting, and they're hugging one another, and they all stand up together, and they stand at attention, and they get in rows, because they are now a great army. Oh, they're not just a mass of people. They are a great army. That's what it says here. God was calling his people together. God was doing something new. God was calling them to be something they had not been before. They were bones, and now they're an army. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel had a part in all of it. Next to the last big truth here, number four. The vision is not complete until what was dead is alive, filled with the Spirit of God, and driven with purpose. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to say again, whether it's your own personal life, your finances, your future, your marriage, a friendship, a church, a community, the nation itself, the vision that God has is not just a form of godliness. God's not interested in us just changing some politics in our land. God's not interested in us just changing some laws in our land. God's not interested in us just changing some government in our land. God's not interested in us just changing some behavior of people in our land. He's interested in a people falling on their knees, recognizing their death, breathing in the Spirit of God from repentance and from delight and faith, and becoming a new people they've never been before. That's what God's interested in our land. I'm going to tell you, our work is not going to be complete until that happens. When I think about someone coming to Vertical Church and they come and place their faith in Jesus Christ and we baptize them here, that is only the beginning of the work. We do that, but then we get into the work, the real work of helping them grow, mature, learn how to breathe in the Spirit of God, learn how to live in the Spirit of God, learn how to relate as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, 
as a loving family member, as an effective witness for Christ on their job, in their community, until they are a breathing, living army. That's when the work will be complete. Amen? Let's go on. I'm almost finished here. It says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God. uh, Ezekiel, I just showed you all of this as a picture. It was a vision, Ezekiel, but now we go do the work. I've shown it to you, now it's time. Now, go really, go really preach. You preach to some bones, surely you can go preach to some people out on the street. This is what God calls us to. Our last point is this. In every generation, God looks for those who will believe big and speak loud. That's what's needed today. Our hope is not in the congressional houses. Our hope today is in heaven's house that is directly connected with an access point of the church house. It's us. It's me and you. God's looking for those who will say, God, it looks hopeless today, but I believe you. I believe your truth. I'm willing to see life where others see death. I'm willing to believe where others have stopped believing. I'm willing to do what you say when others say they're not going to. It was Abraham himself that God challenged when he was and his wife as good as dead. And God said, you're going to have a baby. And not just one baby. In fact, you're going to be the father of nations. And Abraham believed that God could call what was dead alive. That's our challenge today. What a challenge for us as a people of God in our day to believe that God has called us, chosen us, placed us with a purpose in our day to speak truth. Amen? Would you stand with me? I'd like to do our response time a little different than we normally do. I want us to pray for our nation. And here's what I'd like for you to do. If you're with some folks around you and you'd like to get together and pray as a group, please do. There's power in people praying together. If you're by yourself today and you don't know anyone around you and you just want to stay where you are and pray, that's fine. But please know, if you do reach out to someone and say, mind if I join you? Someone's going to say, sure, come on in. You don't have to pray out loud, but I'd ask someone in your group to be the one who will at least voice the prayer. Let's do that together. Join up in groups. Pray. Let's pray for our nation. Pray that we might hear. Pray that we might be obedient to what God has to say to us. Would you get together and pray right now for our country?